I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Editing Podcast again. So this week we want to chat about some of the things we've learned about examining the words we use and the way we behave in shared editorial spaces. So by shared editorial spaces, we're talking about things like membership forums, Facebook groups, conference networking rooms online and in person, and local groups or branch meetings. Yeah. So tip one is that we should familiarise ourselves with the rules of that space and the culture that it's attempting to nurture. And that's such a good place to start because the spaces we're talking about aren't a public free-for-all. There's likely to be a code of conduct or terms of reference that we need to abide by. And entering those spaces doesn't come with the same liberties that exist in our own living rooms or other personal private spaces. Exactly. Or the same liberties that we might be able to exercise in a properly public space. So me posting on my personal Facebook profile feed is not the same as me posting in an editorial Facebook group. Yeah. And the way members behave in, for example, the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading's member forums, which are spaces to which editors are invited, the way we conduct ourselves there doesn't come with the freedom to post whatever we want. Right. As members, we have to abide by the professional terms of reference and the Institute's values. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we can't think differently and believe in different things. Which leads us to tip two, and that is that we should acknowledge that our political, professional and ideological positions are not going to be the same as everyone else's. And that means we have to be mindful of the diversity of thought and lived experience in that space. And so just because I'm an atheist, that doesn't mean I can use that editorial space as a platform for my religious or irreligious or (laughs) a-religious position. It's not on. Yeah, Yeah, so true. And I find that the platforming approach has really helped me work through the way I choose to behave in group spaces. Mm, So we can take that atheism example a wee bit further. So it would be fine for one of us to inquire in one of these groups all along the lines of my author has capitalized the words Hinduism and atheism on the grounds of consistency. Is this okay? That's a great example. And it would be a perfectly legitimate question for a shared editorial space. And if someone responded and said that they were a Hindu as part of their answer, it absolutely wouldn't be okay to ask them to justify or explain their faith. Mm. An atheist and a Hindu might decide to sit down together to chat about their belief systems in another space of their choosing. But an editorial community space like the member forums isn't usually appropriate. Not usually, no. And that feeds right back into that first tip and how we all need to be mindful of the purpose of the editorial space that we're engaging in. But it also leads into our third tip, and that's to acknowledge the potential diversity of our editorial spaces and that there may well be more diversity than is visible. That's a good one. So what we're talking about here is the fact that, and this is particularly true of online editorial spaces, I think, not everyone who's in that space is actively communicating. That is so true. (laughs) I mean, they they may well be there, but they're staying quiet. And so even if the language being used appears unlikely to cause harm to anyone present, that absolutely doesn't mean that it isn't. Yeah. And perhaps even those people are active in that space, aspects of their identity might not be visible or they might have chosen not to make them visible. I mean, no no one has to 
um, often a, a, an identity resume when they join one of these spaces, do they? <laughs> not, not, as, not as far as I'm aware, no. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so true. And what we're saying is we need to use the shared spaces with an awareness that every word we post or say can be seen by those who might share a lot of similarities with us, but also some differences. Yeah, and that issue of there being members of those spaces who are silent leads to tip four. And that's to do <clears throat> some of that lurking when you first join a space and just say hello and introduce yourself rather than diving in with a big thing <laughs> that will likely make people feel challenged and defensive. Yeah, big things don't always lead to good conversations. Well, not, not, when, not when nobody knows you. Exactly. You know, people are like, who are you? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just like, wow, you came yeah. in like waving a came in like a wrecking ball yeah yeah <laughs> in the words with a javelin in one hand and a shot put in the other <laughs> what yeah. an image Miley on a wrecking ball is enough <laughs> <laughs> so anyway it's called building relationships isn't it yeah, yeah. so if I'm in a forum or a group of some kind and someone takes a bit of time to offer help and answer questions and to let that community get to know them perhaps with some information about what they work on or how long they've been editing, I'm, I'm then I'm much more likely to want to listen to them and engage with them, even if they hold totally different political and ideological positions to me. That's absolutely it. And that way you can have interesting and respectful conversations, a dialogue that doesn't have to involve beating each other up with words, <laughs> but that has a purpose to learn, to understand, to share. And that's good for everyone. When somebody joins a group and introduces themselves with a rant, it turns me right off. It makes me not want <laughs> to be in that space because it's, it's no longer feels collaborative. It feels hostile. It really does. It's that whole thing about just, you know, take some time and read the room, literally. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, take your time when you join these spaces, because so often there will be a small number of active voices, but a much larger cohort of people finding support without declaring their presence there. Yeah. And if we want everybody to feel welcome, that means examining what we say. Yeah. So the issue that often comes up in discussions about interactions in these spaces is a biggie. Freedom of speech. Now, we will support free speech, but, and this is our fifth tip, we must be prepared to be challenged because that's part of the deal. Yeah. Freedom of speech doesn't stand in a vacuum, does it? If, if the space affords me the right to say X, that space will afford another with a different position to respond. And when we're dealing with community spaces with tens, hundreds or thousands of members, that right of free speech applies to everyone. Yeah. And so yet again, it's worth reminding ourselves of what the <clears throat> purpose of that space is, what its terms of reference are. And if we say or post things that might be harmful to even just one of the members and that single member no longer feels comfortable being in that space, then that's a big problem, regardless of our political or ideological positions. Yeah. So a person might post something that they don't mean to be offensive, but then another person might challenge it and mention the, the harmful effect it could have on them or someone who's quietly lurking. And citing of freedom of speech in a shared editorial space isn't a get out. Yeah. And none of us knows everything. So yeah. it's entirely possible that any one of us in that group could use language that's harmful. And if that happens, if we make a mistake, well, what's our sixth tip, Louise? own it <laughs> thank the person for challenging you and expanding your knowledge I don't know about you Denise but I've 
I've said or written a ton of things over the years that I didn't mean to be hurtful or didn't understand why they might be harmful. And it was the generosity of others pointing out the problems and sharing information with me um, 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 uh, that educated me. Oh, me too, definitely. I am just the same. And actually, there's something else there that's worth exploring around the issue of intention and ownership. And that's how helpful it is when we frame challenges in terms of actions and behaviour and language rather than in terms of people. Yes, yes, yes. That's such a good point. So calling out someone as a racist rather than calling out language that's racist are two really different things, Mm, aren't they? The mm. first lands with the person and their identity, whereas the second focuses on something far less personal and something that can change. It's a really good point, Denise. Mm. And that leads on to tip seven, which is... Yeah, so that is specifically acknowledging the intention not to hurt doesn't absolve us of the responsibility for that hurt yeah now we've touched on this already but it's really important that we own the fact that the words we use can still harm others even if they were never meant to and we've both seen this crop up in editorial spaces around the issue of humor haven't we so yeah a person makes a light-hearted joke about something and it's meant to be tongue-in-cheek and someone else pushes back and the response from the original poster is i was joking lighten up And the inference there is that because they didn't mean to cause harm, they didn't cause harm. Yep, but they are two different things. And and what's interesting here is who's being centred, because my not meaning to do something centres me, whereas didn't cause harm centres the other person. Yeah, which means you'd be telling them how they felt. If you tell a joke that hurts me, you don't get to tell me whether I'm feeling hurt or not. (laughs) No, absolutely, yeah. Plus, we all know how unfunny jokes are when you've heard them a hundred times and how they're even more galling when they're about you. Yeah. And so our position on this is, yet again, that we need to be about whether the space we're using is appropriate for the language we're using and who else is reading it and how it might make them feel. Yeah. Otherwise, our shared editorial spaces, our communities aren't welcoming for everybody, aren't safe for everyone. And yes, that comes with restrictions. But if you want to enter a closed, shared space, you don't get to have it all your own way, do you? Just for the sake of freedom of speech. No, I mean, absolutely not. No matter how experienced you are or how long you've been in the business. And really, who wants to be in spaces that exclude anyone that make even one person feel unwelcome? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. So entering these editorial community spaces and being challenged on our language make joining them feel daunting. And so our eighth tip is be prepared to feel uncomfortable about the responsibilities we have in these spaces, about how we might have to leave some conversations for other spaces, and about examining language that we've been used we've been using for like a long time and that are now learning is problematic. Yeah, and what we'd say is, well, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. As we said earlier, it's fine not to know everything, not least because what might be currently acceptable in, say, the States is not acceptable in the UK and vice versa. Yeah, and feeling comfortable is a very human thing to feel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from that sort of repugnance we feel when we learn that we might have hurt someone. And Mm. the immediate response we often feel is to push back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but a person that we've hurt with our words is much more likely to want to keep engaging with us if we acknowledge our mistake. Yeah, because that's, I guess, another, another way of looking at it. It's the difference between an argument and a conversation. So our ninth tip It's for white, cis, heterosexual people without a physical, neurological or mental health disability, which is pretty much me. 
uh, and uh, pretty much me too. Yeah. <laughs> and the tip is that we can accept our privilege without getting our knickers in a knot. Denise and her knicker knots. That's such a great mm-hmm. one. So yeah. here's the thing. And um, this was emphasized to us during some racial literacy training we both did with Changemakers Unlimited. And during those sessions, the session leader, Manju Patel Nair, urged us to understand that the concept of privilege is not about us not deserving our successes or being bad people or about feeling guilty. And it doesn't mean that we don't have problems and struggles and face barriers. It's about recognising that others have even more of those barriers because of certain characteristics. Yeah. And our sessions with Manju focused on racialised groups. So in that context, we can considered um, skin colour as one of the aspects. But the same principles can be applied to privilege in terms of economic class, physical disability and illness, sexual orientation, gender identity, sex, faith and so on. Yeah. So when we're in our shared editorial spaces and we're thinking about our language and whether it might cause harm or put up barriers, embracing the concept of privilege can actually be helpful and positive. And that's because we can examine whether our choice of words is because we're seeing the world through a very particular lens. And when we take a minute and think about that, we're less likely to push back and more likely to listen and learn and open our minds to a reality that's experienced by others and that doesn't accord with our own experience. Yeah, and I think for both of us, that's really helped us to consider what it means, to consider what's actually required to make a shared editorial space truly welcoming for everyone and how much work there is to do to get to that place. <laughs> yeah, which leads us on to our 10th tip. It's for us, the white, cis, straight, etc. people to do that work, not the groups of people who are marginalised because they're none of those things or not all of those things. Yeah, and that can take some courage. It can mean calling a colleague out in those spaces on the language they use, not by mm. beating them with a stick and telling them how awful they are. I'm not suggesting that. Mm-hmm. But by explaining why this space isn't appropriate, and why the language used could harm. Yeah, so maybe we recommend a book that helps them understand their, your point better. Or, um, And if the conversation continues, we can also suggest moving out of the editorial space and into a private chat. And that way, we're not asking those who are already feeling the brunt of marginalisation to step up and fix the problem. And we're not exposing them to additional harm by forcing them to observe it if they're present in that space. Precisely. Tough but valuable work. So Mm -hmm. that's it for this episode, which we've just scratched the surface off. We could probably talk all day about this and get um, lots of people on to help us. Um, Yep. Thank you so much for listening to us again. If you'd like to help support the editing podcast, you can join our Patreon community for only £3 a month. We'd love to have you on board. So if you're interested, hop over to patreon.com forward slash editing podcast. All our patrons get exclusive access to a huge bank of transcripts and we'll pop a link in the show notes for you. In the meantime, she's been Louise. And she's been Denise. Join us again next time. Bye. Bye.